And I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter uh, 4, and uh, I want to read from verse 18, although we'll be looking at verses 1 to 2 of chapter, 1 and 2 of chapter 5. So, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, before we read, let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you for the word of the psalm that we've just sung. Uh, Do not be like the horse or mule which cannot understand. And sometimes we feel like that before your word. We'd rather do anything else than this. But Lord, help us. Come amongst us and teach us and encourage us in these great gospel truths which we're going to consider for Jesus' sake. Amen. So Paul is talking about Abraham. And uh, he says in verse 18, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver, concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So I want to think with you this afternoon uh, about what it means to be a Christian. I know you're sitting there thinking, but we're Christians already. But we need to be reminded of these things, the things that really matter. And uh, and the book of Romans is, uh, you know, it's a great place to look, isn't it? Uh, To see these great things that have happened to us as Christian people. And to be reminded of the, the benefits that we have as Christians. Um, and I want to look at verses 1 and 2. And Paul begins there with a, a therefore. Uh, and, and so the rest of the verses is, is a conclusion to what we have been, say, we've been reading before. Uh, and we've been looking at the previous verses over the last few weeks. Uh, so this is now a conclusion. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, a number of things follow. And, uh, and this is where 
we need to, uh, we need to begin, don't we, by thinking about the justification, uh, this great doctrine of justification by faith. And justification, of course, as we've seen, is a, is a central idea in the Bible. It's a central idea in uh, the book of Romans. It's a central idea of the gospel. Uh, to be justified, to be made right with God through faith, by grace, uh, in Christ. And the reason it's a central idea in the book of Romans is because, of course, uh, is to do with this, this question of righteousness. Uh, to be justified is to be counted as righteous. And the problem for uh, all human beings is our lack of righteousness before God. Now, this word righteousness or justification, these are not words that we, uh, we use every day, are they? Uh, but it is a Bible word. And it's vital to our relationship to God uh, to understand what it means to be justified. Uh, righteousness, of course, is a, is a quality that God himself has. It's uh, an attribute that he has. And he requires righteousness of all his, his creatures in order for them to be rightly uh, related to him. But, of course, that's the very thing that's missing from mankind, isn't it? You look back to chapter 1, verse 18, uh, which we've read many times already. Uh, and Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness uh, suppress the truth. The very thing that we need, righteousness, is the very thing that we do not have. And one of the casualties of not having that righteousness is truth. Uh, in our post, post-modern world, post-postmodern, there was a time where we said postmodern, but now we're in the post-postmodern world. Um, and it's a world full of strange ideologies. Uh, the very idea of truth is, is quite hard to get at. Uh, well, people think it's hard to get at because there's nowhere to put your feet. There's nothing solid to stand on. So everybody's all over the place. But there's nothing new under the sun, in a sense. Um, and Paul concludes, uh, thinking about his own, cult, you know, his own time and his own culture and his own history, that as he surveys the men and women of uh, all over the world, whether you're Jew or Gentile, uh, he comes to this conclusion in chapter 3, verse 10. Um, and he's quoting scripture here, Old Testament scripture. And he says, no one is righteous, not even one. Not, no one understands. No one seeks God. And that state of human beings uh, leaves men and women, boys and girls, liable to the judgment of God. Left to yourself. You're liable for the judgment of God. But the amazing thing about the gospel is that God does not leave us in that state, does he? Because God himself has taken the initiative to solve what for us is an impossible situation by providing for us 
the righteousness that we need. We can't have it. We don't have it. We can't find it anywhere. But God, in his initiative, provides for us that righteousness that we need. How does he do that? By sending into the world a substitute. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to bear the penalty of our sins. So you look back to chapter 3, verse 25. God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus Christ was a propitiatory sacrifice. Another big word, but it just means that Jesus comes. And by his propitiation, he takes away the wrath of God upon himself. He takes it off of those sinners for whom he died. And he becomes the propitiatory sacrifice. And so sinners are able to go free. And Jesus, of course, is the one who's, who is truly righteous. He never sinned. He had no sin in him. And as he went to the cross, he was wholly righteous. And that righteousness is made available to us in Christ Jesus. Yes, he was declared, he became sin for us on the cross. Not that he became a sinner because he didn't sin, but he became sin in that legal sense. He took the liability for all our sins. He became sin. But then gloriously, As he rose from the dead, as he was raised from the dead, he was vindicated. He was justified himself and declared to be the righteous one. And so as he goes into heaven, and he ascends up there into heaven, through the, into the temple, the heavenly temple, into the holy of holies, he goes with the names of his people. Symbolically, as it were, written on his breast and on his shoulders as the great high priest. And he says, I've done it for my people. I have saved my people. And because Christ is there, uh, we are there. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And he becomes this, as Hebrews describes it, the anchor for our soul. Where's our anchor? Our anchor is in heaven where Jesus is. It's the anchor for our souls. And his righteousness, all is his. And righteousness is one of those things. All of those things become ours in him. We become righteous through him. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty is found in Jesus. And all that he has ever done for us. Who he is and what he has done. How do we receive this righteousness? Do we receive it by earning it? No. Do we receive it like a loan that we subsequently pay off? Like a mortgage? By our good works? No. None of that. All we need is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. As Fanny Crosby, in her, the great hymn writer of a former century, said, put it in this hymn, to God be the glory, there's a line that says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. 
very moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness becomes yours. It's a glorious thing, isn't it? Wonderful. That moment. That forgiveness is yours. That acceptance with God. And all barriers to relationship with God are broken down. That's what it means to be justified by faith. Justified. And that word justified, it simply means to be counted as righteous because Jesus is righteous. And it's the most wonderful good news that anyone can receive. But our justification is not all that, is, that comes our way. And what follows in these uh, verses, verses 1 and 2, uh, are, are three things. Now let me just mention three things uh, this afternoon. The first is peace with God. That's the first result. Peace with God. Now we might think, if you're not reading too carefully, and uh, let's face it, we don't always read very carefully, do we? But we might think that that means some sort of sense of inner peace. You know, when I come to God, I get some inner peace. Um, that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we get a sense of that inner peace in our souls. And certainly that is one of the benefits of becoming a Christian. Uh, and Paul puts it that way in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, he speaks about this effect of you know, when we pray, we come as Christians to pray, uh, the promise follows the praying. It says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I hope you've had that experience. If, as you have, maybe you've been troubled about something. Maybe you've been worried about something. And you have come to the Lord. Maybe prostrated yourself on the floor, perhaps. You're so worried about something. And you find that God comes, as it were, he puts his hand on your shoulder. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You have no idea how it happens. Guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's a great benefit of the Christian life. And it's, it's, and that kind of peace is the kind of peace that often people feel that they need. Uh, you know, people are distressed all around us, aren't they? They're distressed by lack of peace in their families, lack of peace in communities. There's lack of peace between nations that we see all the time in the news. It's maybe a thing that keeps us awake at night and distracts us during the day. There's lack of peace, inner peace. And the gospel holds out the expectation that, of a peace of heart that comes by knowing Jesus Christ and being close to him and being part of a community, the church that seeks peace within itself and begins to uh, enact the peace between people in this new community called the church of Jesus Christ. However, having said all that, that is not the peace that he's talking about here. <laughs> He is, he's not speaking of the peace of God, which guards our hearts, but he's talking here about peace with God. Peace literally towards God, face to face with God. As you enter into that relationship where you are face to face with God, 
There is peace between you on one side and God on the other. And so the primary focus is not, not peace within yourself and peace with other people, the horizontal dimension, if you like, but the vertical dimension with God, the, the peace with God, that you stand in a peaceful relationship to God. And this makes so much sense when you consider all that Paul has been saying. It's because of the big problem being the, the break of relationship, the unrighteousness, the desire to rebel against God, to do your own thing and forget God and, and tell God to go away. Now you need peace with him. And that's where the... Uh, you know, and the, the issue is... It's not simply how can man be turned back to God. But the issue for uh, human beings rebelling against God is, how can God be turned back to man? Now, nobody in the world thinks that's a problem. Let me tell you. Everybody thinks God will simply, simply is friendly with everybody. But the trouble is that your sin separates you from God. God is against sinners. That's where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus is presented to us as a mediator. And a mediator, how does a mediator work? He, he comes between two warring parties and he brings them together. And brings reconciliation. And for that to happen, Jesus has to shed his blood. So that there can be reconciliation between two warring parties. It's very important that we understand this. It's the peace that he's talking about is not the sense of inner peace, but the peace that exists between sinful human beings and God, who is distant from you because of that sin. That's a problem that needs to be solved. But that's where Jesus comes in. Inner peace will come later. But first of all, there is a halting of hostilities. So if you're somebody who's come, who has come into church, maybe wants to come to Christ because you're seeking a new experience of peace, uh, beware of this problem, that you may be seeking to use God for your own personal ends. And you're missing the point that you need God to cease his hostility towards you. That what you need most of all is that when you come to that place of judgment, as we all shall when we die, that we have Jesus as our mediator and therefore God as our loving Heavenly Father. And we can know that now as we put our faith in Jesus. To know that we are reconciled to God. That our sin is dealt with. So peace with God. Here's the second thing that Paul goes on to speak about. He speaks about access. Access, verse 2, by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Access. And what he's talking about here is that having 
received this righteousness that is by faith and been justified, it actually takes us into a new place, a new sphere, a new atmosphere of our lives. There's an environment now that we now inhabit, we've stepped into by grace. And grace is, of course, God's disposition that he towards his own children. He looks upon his children with a special favor. He looks upon his children with a smile that is not given to anyone else. Because, of course, the moment that we, that we trust God and his Son is the moment we realize that God is our Heavenly Father. And that's what he means when he says that we have obtained it. It is this grace in which we now stand is the result of this past event when we believed and it's counted to us as righteousness that we gain access into his presence. And that's the place where the Christian now stands. And it becomes the enduring position of the Christian. No one can change it. The Christian believer always stands in a place of grace. And that grace, that loving disposition of the Father, is always directed towards you. No matter how weak your faith may be at times, no matter how often you fall into sin, you will always stand in that place of grace. So all the way through your life, the atmosphere of your life is one of grace upon grace from your Heavenly Father. Becoming a Christian and putting your faith in Christ and his death and resurrection changes your life forever and it can never be changed back. You gain access to the state of grace and there you will stand forever. Now, somebody might be thinking here this evening, can't I fall from a state of grace? Can't I lose access to this grace? Supposing I commit some gross sin, or I simply lose heart, you know, and give up. Won't he give up on me? And here's why he won't. Because again, this access is granted, end of verse 1, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Through him. What that means is that access to God's grace doesn't depend on me at all, actually. It has nothing to do with how I feel about my faith, whether I have a sense of inner peace or not, or even whether I've sinned. It all depends on Jesus. It's Jesus who has won the victory for us. One of the things that we we regularly remember when we confess our sins here at SPC, and especially during the morning service, we were here this morning, uh, we say a prayer of confession together. Um, but one of the things we remember, and we did this morning, is, is that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He is our mediator, he is our advocate in heaven. And no matter what accusations you might make against yourself, whatever your friends may make against you, 
whatever Satan may say to you, whatever accusation comes to you from whatever direction, because Jesus is standing there with you, you're still in that state of grace. And you will forever stand in that state of grace. And Jesus is not going anywhere, so you're not going anywhere. Jesus Christ has invested his life to save a people for himself. He has won a glorious victory in his death and resurrection. He is not going to give up on you now, even if there are times when you feel that you have given up on him. So you can't fall from a state of grace because it depends on Jesus. Isn't that a great message? Isn't it a wonderful thing to remember as a Christian? Especially when you've sinned. Especially when you feel you've failed. To be able to come again to Jesus Christ and say, thank you. I'm sorry for my sin, but thank you that you died in my place. And thank you for your grace, Heavenly Father. You can be a sinner. And in the depths of spiritual bankruptcy and poverty, and you realize your need and you turn to your Savior and Master, and you seek the help from the Son that you need. And He will give you all His grace. You know, when you come into the presence of God, it's not as though God says, just you, you know, in an embarrassed sort of way, well, you, you can just go into the little kitchen in the side and you can pick up a few leftovers from the banquet that's going on over here. But you're a sinner, so you can go over here. God doesn't do that. He says, I want you in my family. I want you as a child, my child. I want to adopt you as my son, my daughter. And I want you to sit with me at the table, with my son. And I want you to feed of all my riches. And I want you to wear the best clothes. Here they are. Wear them and come and sit with me. He leans over to you and says, I love you. I love you with all my heart. Everything that belongs to my son, Jesus, is given to you as well. Isn't that a great message? What a wonderful thing the gospel is. Which brings us to our final point. Uh, we have peace with God. We have access into a state of grace. And finally, we rejoice in the hope of glory. We rejoice in the hope of glory. Hope, touched on this last time, it's not a hope that we express when we want the weather to be nice, so I, I hope it's not going to be too rainy tomorrow. I hope there's not going to be too much heavy traffic on the way home. <laughs> you know, these kind of hopes, we have. it's not that. None of that. Christian hope is founded upon the promises that God has made. And because of who he is, we know that he will fulfill them. 
And so Christian hope is a sure and certain hope, not just a vague wish. What do we hope for? It is the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. And any hope that we have in life, if it is not centered on the hope of God, is not the hope that Paul is speaking of here. Hoping for anything else is always going to be uncertain. It's always going to be a vague wish. It's always going to be a hopeful desire, but it's it's never going to be satisfying in the way that the hope of the glory of God is. It may be news to some of us that uh, Christian hope is the focus of our hope is the glory of God. But the more we read our Bibles, of course, the more we realize that God is concerned primarily for his glory and all his people are concerned for his glory all the way through. Creation declares the glory of God, doesn't it? The redemption of Israel from Egypt declares the glory of God. And his traveling with them displays his glory. The temple was a display of the Shekinah glory of God. And the coming of Jesus Christ on the earth was a display of his glory. As as John the Apostle said, the words became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Father and Son together, glorifying one another. It's all about God's glory. So God's, all of God's activity, everything that he does, is about his own glory, but... Here's the thing. Here's the wonderful thing about it. As uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism question one says, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to what? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief basis For our enjoying God is to seek his glory. That's where we find the truest joy, to find, to seek his glory. At the same time as we are able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, one day we will see him with our eyes. One day we will behold him, not simply through faith, but we will see the bright radiance of his glory. And that will be our greatest moment. That will be the moment, an eternal moment, a moment of joy. And so the hope of the glory of God looks forward to that great day that will come with absolute certainty. And today we rejoice in it because we look forward to it. Whatever may happen in our lives, and some of us may face very difficult times in our lives, Many things that will be uncertain for us. We know that ultimately there is a coming home to the glory of God. And friends, as we meet Sunday by Sunday, we meet to be reminded of these things. We sing hymns 
and Psalms Sunday by Sunday, which help us ponder the great things. I, I hope you realize there's great skill in singing. There's great skill in pondering what you're singing and using the words of Scripture to feed our souls as we sing. And if we enter into a genuine, a genuine worship, then we will have a genuine heart rejoicing in his glory. And friends, that's a sure sign that we truly have been justified by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all the benefits that come our way because of him. The peace that we have with God. The access that we have into the grace of this state of grace that we have. And to be able to rejoice in the hope of glory. Lord, we pray that our hearts will be filled with Jesus Christ. Whatever we may face in life, his glory will be paramount in our hearts and desires. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.